Welcome to For the Record, behind-the-scenes insider podcast with Colin McCall, where we take a forward-facing look at your environmental requirements and help you make your EHS program an indispensable and strategic part of your company's growth. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter. And now, here's your host, Colin McCall. Welcome to part two of my conversation with Amy Marshall on activities associated with the new administration. For more of an introduction to Amy, feel free to tune in back to episodes one and two of the podcast. And if you missed part one, go back to last week's episode, but we'll pick it up from there. Amy, walk us through that guidance rule. My understanding of the guidance rule as it had been put in place was to really make sure that there was a central location where the current guidance was, and it was to really get control over the potential of there being different guidance out there in the space that may have been inconsistent and at odds with each other and created really more confusion for all of the stakeholders in this process, regulatory, public, facility, and that the purpose of that was really to start to mitigate some of that confusion and make things a little more clear and concise and have a process by which things went up. So with it gone now, what concerns do we go right back to? Is there things that facilities in particular should be keeping an eye on when it comes to guidance? Is there different places they should be looking? Just what what are some of the things folks should be thinking about there? Yeah, the whole concept around the guidance rule and the portal was kind of both a forward-looking and a backward-looking exercise. So when the guidance rule came out, EPA was directed to go back and sort of look at their body of guidance. And as you know, there's a whole lot of guidance that tells us how to implement all the the air regulations. They reviewed all the guidance and, you know, not site-specific determinations like you would find on the applicability determination index. Mm -hmm. Guidance was defined to be something that was broadly applicable to a sector. So maybe if EPA had put out a guidance document that covered an entire rule, that would be considered guidance. But if EPA had issued a specific facility, a determination on whether a rule applied to their operation, that was not considered guidance for purposes of this rule. But, you know, there there are a lot of guidance documents out there. And some of the trade associations gave EPA kind of their opinions on the ones they thought should be included in the portal and that reflected the current policies of EPA. And so it would have been nice had the portal stayed around because you could go look in the portal and find kind of the current policy and and direction and thinking of the agency. Since the portal is gone, now, you know, all, all the guidance that's ever been issued is now on the Applicability Determination Index, the NSR Policy and Guidance Database, the Title V Policy and Guidance Database. Sometimes policy and interpretation changes from administration to administration. So if you just, you know, go back and find a memo from 15 years ago, sometimes it's not clear that that's not the current interpretation. So I guess a a watch out would be, you know, make sure you understand if you you know, are picking out a guidance to support something that you're, you know, a position that you're arguing or a permit application, 
just to make sure that that's still the current policy of the agency. Some some of those older ones that are no longer the current policy have a cover sheet, but some of them do not. It also kind of increases the uncertainty because if a certain region issues a guidance, other regions might not agree with it. And so, you know, if you have facilities across several states, one of them might be permitted differently than another just because one region accepts the the guidance as the way things should be done and one region doesn't think that way. I don't quite understand the push to get rid of this particular one. This one just seemed to me like something that might be agreeable to most of the stakeholders of the process, but maybe that's just a testament to where where things are right now. But we'll see. Yep. So EPA might not necessarily have gotten to everything yet, but that doesn't mean that litigation hasn't gotten to things that EPA <laughs> hasn't gotten to. So we're not – there's really – very few things that have been untouched either by the new administration or by litigation. So let's talk about litigation. There's a bulleted list of some decisions that we're keeping an eye on because they've got legal stuff going on around them. Can you walk us through those? And and once again, maybe some of the big hitters there. Yep. So we talked about the PM two and a half NACs. The previous administration also issued a determination that the ozone NACs should be retained at the current level. So we're waiting to see if litigation will move forward there or uh, if EPA will reconsider that one. The once in, always in or major MAC to area policy change and then rulemaking has been a little bit controversial. We did see a final rule but it is it has been litigated. So I think that's one of the things that EPA is still deciding. Do we let the litigation move forward and defend it? Or do we go ahead and determine whether we need to, you know, review and, and revise or or vacate that rule? So I think that one is is of interest to several facilities who've taken advantage of reclassifying from major source to area source. Some of the NSR actions that happened during the previous administration. I don't find them on the executive order list, but I know that some of them were controversial. So the project emissions accounting rule might be one that we, you know, could see a change to. There is a NSR rule kind of housekeeping rule that got caught up at the regulatory freeze that was signed, but not published. So I think EPA has just taken another look at that just to review it. it hasn't shown up in the federal register as of yet. And then we have, you know, the policies around startup shutdown malfunction and state implementation plans. There was a memo kind of with some new thinking and a couple of rulemaking actions in um, states like North Carolina that are being litigated now. So we'll see what happens with those. And then we had some changes to the risk management plan rule in the Obama administration. The Trump administration rolled back some of those changes. And now the new administration needs to decide, do we go forward with, with defend what we have? Or do we kind of you know look back at the RMP rule and see if we need to put some of those original changes back in there? The RMP rule has been cycling for quite some time, it, it feels like, um, among a few others. Yep. Okay, let's move to some new 
rulemaking on the books. So we don't just have reconsiderations. We don't just have litigation. We don't just have things being vacated and removed. We've got some new content being put out there as well by the administration. Amy, walk through some of the new ones. And certainly these are all regs that we'll track moving forward. Yep. So, you know, during this time where EPA is kind of going through this executive order review, a lot of the stuff in the Federal Register has been related to state of home implementation plan approvals. But we have seen a few federal actions, a couple of them new. So for the first time, we actually have a proposal to gather information that's needed to add a new pollutant to the uh, HAP list. So last year, EPA granted a petition to add one bromopropane to the HAP list. Uh, They've recently signed an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking, asking for some data they need to figure out, okay, when we add this thing to the list, then what max standards do we need to go and revise? So that's going on now. We recently had a proposal to revise the refrigerant rule to cover some not necessarily ozone depleting refrigerants, but additional refrigerants with high global warming potential. So if you're putting in a new cooling system, um, you may want to check that out and make sure that your coolant isn't on the list of things that EPA is proposing to to phase out. I think I mentioned the landfill methane proposal we recently saw. And then we did have another update to the the CASPER rule, the cross-state air pollution rule. And EPA was considering broadening the applicability of that to industrial sources, but the, the current rule on the books still only applies to EGUs in certain states. Thanks, Amy. A couple of big priorities we haven't covered yet, and I know there are things going on that are outside of the exclusively the air realm. So we haven't touched on PFAS. We know there's PFAS activity going on, and we can certainly expand on that if it makes sense, Amy. Environmental justice and climate, those are two of the big priorities. Can you speak to those just a bit and where you see those things going and some other resources that we've got available that people can be looking at around those. Yep. When the election happened, we realized that environmental justice was going to be a big priority of the new administration. And so we've been tracking what both the states and the federal government are doing around EJ. And, you know, things change on a weekly basis. And we're hearing, you know, in the same conversations, EJ, environmental social governance, climate change, infrastructure, enforcement. Um, So it it seems to be, you know, the government's taking a, you know, kind of a whole of government approach on environmental justice and figuring out how do we incorporate EJ concerns across all of our different agencies, not just EPA rules. So we actually have an hour-long webinar that's on our website that you can listen to and, and get lots of detail on environmental justice and what's going on there. Thanks for that, Amy. And we did a, we did a couple of podcast episodes, episodes four and five on environmental justice at the time, knowing that was going to be a focus. That was several months ago, and there's plenty that has changed between now and then that you'll hear on that webinar. And it's just a situation where all of the stakeholders in the process are going to be more involved in permitting and things like that that maybe they have in the past. So 
there's a strong need to bring those stakeholders together in a way that makes everything clear to everybody and makes the permitting process as efficient as it as it possibly can be. So, Amy, anything on the PFAS side? I've I've seen an article or two about potential PFAS air regulations on the horizon. I know I know we're probably really early on any of that, but is there anything you wanted to comment on relative to? to PFAS that folks might be interested in? Yeah, I think from an air standpoint, you know, PFAS issues, if there have been, have really been addressed at a state and local level. Although I I saw an article this week about, you know, deposition of PFAS in the Great Lakes. So there may be, you know, kind of some more attention being paid to what happens to air emissions of PFAS in the future. But right now I, I don't have a clear line on, kind of what to expect, but, you know, the types of facilities that actually have air emissions of PFAS are, are fairly narrow. So, And on the climate front, another priority of the administration, over the next couple of podcast episodes, we plan to cover climate and what may occur soon after the administration change. Once again, we're getting more clarity around that and some of the pressures that are being exerted on the climate front. So we do plan to cover climate in general in the next couple of episodes. But Amy, any other comments on climate activity or just things we're hearing from EPA on that front? No, I think they're still considering what they're going to do as far as direct regulation. I think they're going to have to consider climate impacts of any of the air toxics or NACs work that they do. So, you know, if they make changes to some of these MAC rules and, you know, 200 facilities have to install a thermal oxidizer that's going to burn natural gas, you know, how, how do we weigh, you know, the toxics emissions that we're reducing with the NOx and greenhouse gas emissions that we're creating and the fossil fuel that we're using? So it's it's a puzzle. It's going to be a hard one to solve, but we're all going to have to work together and figure it out. Amy, thanks as always for joining. We've got reconsidered, vacated, litigation, new stuff, big picture priorities for the administration five months in. So no shortage of things to talk about. We'll probably do a general check-in like this every so often just as new things come up. I hope that this was helpful. And certainly if any of our listeners have questions on any of these topics, feel free to reach out to us directly. And we hope that you join us next time. Thanks. You've been listening to For the Record Behind the Scenes Insider Podcast with Colin McCall. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter to get weekly news and articles on a variety of timely EHS issues. The content heard on this podcast is not intended to replace an evaluation of the specific projects and regulations that you are encountering at your company. 